Uh, well, again, uh, good morning. Always great to be with all of you. I uh, hope that you are all well. Uh, for those of you who are new with us today, uh, maybe you're joining us here in person. Good to see you. Uh, joining us online uh, today, welcome. My name is James. Uh, I serve as the lead pastor here at Freedom Village. Uh, really great to have you, have you with us today. Um, if you have a Bible with you this morning, and certainly I hope that you do, uh, it's always good to have a copy of God's Word with you as we, as we teach through it. So if you have that, let me invite you uh, to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 4. Uh, if you've been with us through the duration of this series... Uh, you know that a, a large part of this letter deals with the theme of, of suffering, uh, of, of facing trials and hardships, big and small, uh, because we follow Jesus. Uh, and today, what we're going to see Peter uh, do for, for us is sort of summarize all of his main thoughts on this main theme. Peter um, is bringing us back once again to the topic of trials and suffering. Um, and, and, and let me just say, say this before I, I dive in this morning, especially for those of you um, who've been here even for the last like month or two, or even if you've been here listening to this series since the, since the fall. Uh, I know, I know uh, that we have been talking a lot about this topic. Um, for me, I was actually just I was thinking about this uh, yesterday afternoon. Um, it seems like this has just been a, a season of teaching on nothing but suffering for, for months. Um, and along with that, it's, if that's not enough, like we know, right, we've been in a very long, trying season of life on, on top of that with everything going on uh, with, with COVID. And, and I was just thinking, um, thinking again yesterday I'm, I'm so ready. I'm so ready to, to move on. I was actually just having this conversation with the Lord. Lord, I'm so ready. Uh, I'm so ready to, to be done, uh, to be done with, with this. Certainly, of course, yes, I'm certainly ready to move on from all this COVID stuff. And um, the last two weeks, you know, I was wearing like a black foam mask. Today I'm back to this like 94 because I just can't figure out what to become. I'm done with this thing. I want to I, I'm, I'm going to lead, seriously, the, the burning charge. Like, I, you know, I'll be the first one to put my mask on the ground with you. I'll have all the kerosene, you know, and everything, lighter fluid, everything with you. I'm, I'm so done. Um, but, but more than that, I wasn't talking to the Lord just about, oh, I'm so done with, with COVID. I was actually having this conversation with him. Lord, I'm, I'm so done. I'm so done teaching on this topic of trials and suffering, um, please, please, like, can I get out of this uh, season? I don't want to talk about suffering and hardship and heartache and, and, and trials anymore. Um, but uh, I was reminded gracious, graciously this time, graciously reminded that actually this is one of the, the beauties and the benefits of being faithful to teaching through the scriptures verse by verse. Uh, because approaching the scriptures, approaching the Bible this way, teaching through it this way, actually allows the Bible and God um, himself to set the agenda for our souls. Uh, you may think, you be, might be here today, and you're like, oh, I'm done, really suffering again? I'm out, right? I'm tuning out. So you might be here thinking, okay, I really need to hear this topic or this thing. And I'm with you. I might think I need to be teaching on totally another different topic. But the Lord in his kindness and in his wisdom, when we approach the scriptures this way, always, he always seems to give us what we need in the right time, in the right season. And so my prayer for us today is that this understanding would bring us to a place where, once again, all of us together, collectively and individually, that we would posture our hearts once again to be ready to receive the truth of God's word. And that we would believe, again, that, that whatever comes out of his word today and each and every week is exactly what we need to hear today, this morning, and in this season of our lives. So that being said, 
we turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're going to be in verses 12 through 19 this morning, which uh, Pastor Kerry read for us. And, and we actually see in this text today, we see a very pastoral passage that is full of care and encouragement. Peter here wants to help us to get through the many trials that come our way. And to do that, we're going to see Peter sort of carry out this flow. We're going to see the reality of suffering, the reality of trials. We're then going to see the reality of our suffering, the reality of these trials. And then finally, we're going to see how we're supposed to respond to our trials as followers of Jesus. And so we're going to begin this morning um, just by talking about the reality of trials. I've said this so many times throughout this, this series, but it's really important for me to state uh, again. We have to keep in mind that Peter is writing to people who are under uh, in intense pressure because of their faith uh, in Jesus Christ. They are going through hardships and trials that some of us could couldn't un- even understand. I-, I-, I just took the time because I, again, I was like, oh, suffering and trials again. I took the time yesterday. I actually just paused my sermon for about, I don't know, 30 minutes or so. And I went back to um, some-, some other texts like Fox's Book of Martyrs, if you ever heard of that before, or just looking through church history. And I was reading all of these stories of men and women in groups of Christians during this time and just a little bit after this time who were killed because of their faith in Jesus. Peter's writing to this audience, these people who were suffering in ways, again, we couldn't even imagine. Just some of these stories, you need to read them for yourself. I think it would strengthen your faith um, or, or at least put you in a place where it's like, wow, do I actually have faith? <laughs> because those people are amazing. But these people are facing all sorts of hardships. And, and we see here in today's passage this reality that they will suffer and are suffering as followers of Jesus. It's mentioned in almost every verse. So if you have a copy of God's Word, it won't be on the screen. You just have to skim through it with me. In, in verse 12, you see there, he, he, he mentions these fiery trials Then in verse 13, there it is again, the word suffering. Then verse 14, he talks about trials because why? They're being insulted for their faith. See that there? Verse 15 and 16, you see the word suffering twice again. And then skip down to verse 19, you guessed it. What's the word? Suffering. (laughs) So it's, it's really clear what the overarching theme is of this passage. It's once again, it's talking about unjust suffering for Jesus' sake. And more specifically, uh, we're, we're, we're talking about what Peter refers to as fiery trials. Okay, that's an interesting phrase. It's a very intentional choice of words. Fiery meaning, he means there to say that there's this emotional heartache that is involved in our hardships. The picture here is is actually having your heart seared or burned. Your heart will be in pain. And so these trials are very difficult. Okay, they're not just physical. Okay, they're, they're not just spiritual. They're also emotional. And they're very deep and very serious. And of course, the, the teaching... The teaching that that we will face these types of trials and heartache and hardship in our life is not just a Peter thing, right? We've said that a few different times um, during this series together. We actually see this all throughout the the New Testament, and we actually see this even with Jesus himself. And so I want to just really briefly look at something that Jesus said. So again, if you have a copy of God's Word, flip with me if you can, if you're able, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 in, in your Bible. First gospel, first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5. As you're turning there, we know that this is the beginning of the most famous sermon that Jesus ever taught. Right? It's the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. 
And I want you to listen. I want you to just hear and follow along with me uh, to how and to see how Jesus describes a person who is blessed. I want you to see how he describes a person who is blessed. In other words, Jesus tells us uh, what, a, what a true disciple, a true follower of Jesus looks like. And I want you to specifically look with me at verses 10 through 12. This is what Jesus says. He says this, Blessed, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he expands on this in the next two verses. He says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. One of the interesting things to me about this passage is that Jesus is really expanding here. I believe he was expanding their understanding, and I think expanding our understanding of what it means to suffer. You know, when we think about suffering, deep hardships, trials, we typically think of things uh, like being tortured, tortured, right? Or, or, or being put in prison. That's what we think of as deep suffering. And certainly, right, that genuine suffering uh, it's still happening to Christians all over the world. And so one of the things that I had just said is that I was studying just briefly again the historical accounts in the early church, Fox's Book of Martyrs, and the different people who died and suffered for their faith. If you uh, keep up with the news, um, you will know that even just last week, um, you should read, you should be aware of what's happening around our world to Christians. You should read what's happening, for example, in Egypt. Um, that the, with the Coptic Christians. Last week, uh, there was a man, a, a leader in the church. Um, you can search this for yourself, but there's a little bit of a, uh, be careful, it's mature content, okay? He was captured for his faith, leading a church there, um, and by three Muslim men came in the middle of the night, captured him, and told him, uh, deny Jesus, deny Christ, and he refused. And so they were, they were beating him, beating him, and denied Jesus, and he refused. I think they had him for a few days um, on him, beating him, he refused. And finally, um, they took him out, and they gave him a, a last warning, um, deny Christ, he refused. And so one by one, not just, they just didn't pull out, they, they crushed every single one of his teeth, one by one. Deny Christ. No, crushed. Deny. No, he refused. And after they realized he wasn't going to deny his faith, they placed him on his knees, turned on the camera, live-streamed it, and executed him. That happened last week. Um, And so people around the world um, are, are dying genuinely suffering deeply for their faith. This has been going on since the very, very beginning. That type of suffering takes place even today. You need to know that. You need to be aware of that. But Jesus says here in the Sermon on the Mount that suffering can also look like reviling. It can also look like people speaking badly about you and against you. And at least in our context, I think that's much more relatable, right? <laughs> For the majority of us. Right? As followers of Jesus, we talked about this. Um, we, we are really, in many ways, despised in society for being Christians. We're considered intolerant, bigoted. Uh, people say that, that we hate certain groups of people, right? We're closed-minded group of people. Exclusive. So Jesus teaches us this concept here. And, and let's remember, let's remember, Peter was actually there at that sermon. He was sitting there in person listening to Jesus' teaching that day. And so now as we turn back to Peter's letter, we're going to see as we go through this text that Peter says the exact same thing as Jesus. Exact same thing. 
just in a slightly different way. For example, he'll say in verse 13 through 14, same words, rejoice and be glad if you're insulted for the name of Christ. And then he says what? Consider yourself blessed. Same teaching. And so this is a common theme. Again, it's a common theme throughout the New Testament. And Peter is just echoing what is true, what his Lord taught him. That if you belong to Jesus, you will. You will face opposition. You will face hardships. You will face trials in your life. That's a normal mark of Christian discipleship. Some of you, some of you have, have maybe heard of the name uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer before. Um, if you haven't, it's a really good name to know. I would actually encourage you to read some of his, his works. Um, he certainly, we know, uh, faced many trials in his life. He was actually imprisoned um, and executed in April of 1945. Okay? But he said this when it, it comes to the Christian and, and suffering. It's pretty profound, pretty convicting. He says this, suffering is the badge of true discipleship. The disciple is not above his master. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ, and it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. Listen to this. In fact, it is a joy and token of his grace. (laughs) That was Bonhoeffer's perspective on suffering. So again, This is a reality for those who follow Jesus. They persecuted Christ, and so we expect to face similar difficulties as well. But I think an important question just follows this. It's a practical question, simple question. Why? Why? Why this reality? Have you ever thought about that? Like I shared that guy in in Egypt. Why? Why would they do that to him? Why is there such opposition specifically towards Jesus, towards Christianity, towards Christians? Why do we face fiery trials, as Peter calls them? Because you, you know this. You've heard the stories. You've read the stories. You've experienced it in your own life. You can be kind, gracious, loving. You can be patient with people. You can just be following exactly what the Lord has called you to do. Live as he lived. And yet, people will still come against you, come against us. And and it's important, again, to state this, that on a mass scale, certainly there are minor instances, but on a mass scale, we're not seeing this happen with other people groups. Muslims, Buddhists, no one's out there like targeting agnostics. Like, oh, you're an atheist? Like, deny you're an atheist. Like, right? We're, that's not happening in our world, right? If you're in that camp, one of those groups, cool, you're good. But if you're a Christian in this world, in this culture, not cool. Not good. And so why is that? Why? Well, I think the, the answer is somewhat simple at least on the surface, the answer is because Christians believe that what the Bible teaches about reality, life, eternity, sin, and salvation is true. (laughs) We believe that we have not just a version of what is true, but that we have the truth. We believe that Christianity is not just something that works for us, but is the truth and reality for everyone. That Jesus and faith in him provides the only answers to reality and how to live a life of joy, peace, and love. We believe that Christianity defines how we see beauty and brokenness. That Christianity tells us what helps us and what harms us. And that Christianity teaches us how every single human being, all humanity, is supposed to live. And so understand, that is deeply confrontational. 
deeply confrontational. You see, the human, the human heart's default is to put our faith in the world, but more specifically, in what we can personally do, accomplish, achieve on our own. But the message of Christ, the message of Jesus, our message is to take ourselves out of the center of our lives and to put Jesus in that center. And so where, where humanity in the heart says, glorify myself and enjoy myself forever, Jesus says, what? Glorify God and enjoy him forever. And because of that, it's inevitable that we will face deep confrontation, deep resistance against the world. Because these are two polar opposite worldviews that just cannot get along. Jesus said this himself, the light has come into the world and or but people loved the darkness. That's how different Jesus was and we are from the world. It's It's not just, oh, we're kind of similar. We're sort of going after the same things. No, it's light versus darkness. And Jesus says that because people love the dark, because they love the world, because they love themselves, naturally, naturally, they will hate the light, Jesus. And everyone who walks into the light, followers of Jesus. So trials, let's understand, trials, they are a reality for every follower of Jesus. If you're truly living out your faith, not hiding your faith, right? hide it under a bushel, no, right? I'm going to let it shine. But if you're doing that, if you're doing that, you will face opposition in your life. In some way, somehow, from some people, you, you will. We will face trials. Christians always have and they always will until Jesus returns. And so in light of that reality, then, how do we respond? How are we called to respond? Peter's been helping us so much with this. Now he gets more specific. How do we respond to these fiery trials? That's what our text today is all about. Peter's going to give us several encouragements. I'm so thankful for these. They're so pastoral, so so caring, so loving. He's going to give us several encouragements to hold on to to help us walk through trials. This is practical pastoral counsel here, and I'm going to give you four of them. Four of them. Peter's encouragement for walking through fiery trials. Here's number one. Number one this morning, don't be surprised by them, okay? Don't be surprised by them. Look at verse 12. Now we're in the text. Look at verse 12. Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised, there it is, at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So right out of the gate, Peter wants us to know that this kind of opposition that we face is not, it's not strange. It's not unusual, in other words. It's not like uh, you're doing something wrong, and therefore these types of trials are coming towards you. That unfortunately, he's sort of being sympathetic in some ways, it's normal. It's normal. And he actually speaks to this point again, we're going to see this Uh, a little bit later in the series, in chapter 5, verse 9, he says this. He says, The same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. In other words, you're not alone in your trials. Again, all followers of Jesus are experiencing this. So, therefore, do not be surprised by them. This is just part of the path that we are on. We know, we know that as followers of Christ, we are headed, it's the hope that we have, that we are headed to a place, a home, a kingdom, where there is no tears, there's no pain. 
But we also know, we also know that there will be plenty of tears and plenty of pain on our way there, on our way home. Both of those things are true. Another thing to note here is that Peter reminds us that our trials, they're not for nothing. That our trials are not for nothing. What I mean by that is uh, we don't, we don't face trials of many kinds just for the purpose of getting through them. That there's these like, sort of these, it's like a video game or something, that there's just kind of these like frogger. You got to, oh, God's like, oh, that would be fun. Let me just put him through some of these hurdles. Like dodge that car. Oh, good, you're good. I, on your way home. Right? And no, no, it's not that. In God's economy, in God's economy, all of our trials have a purpose. You could even think of it this way, that all of our trials are actually tools, tools in the hand of God. Which is why Peter says here in our text that they are, what? Tests. To test you. That's their purpose. And of course, this is not the first time that Peter has brought this to our attention in his letter. You can go back with me to chapter 1. We're going to look quickly at verses 6 through 7. To be reminded of this, what does it say? What does Peter say? He says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by, here it is, various trials. And here's the purpose. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So again, Peter, Peter is saying trials are not things or something that just comes into our lives for the purpose of enduring them. But trials are actually tests. And as tests, they have two primary purposes. They're meant to both prove our faith and to purify our faith. They're meant to prove our faith and to purify our faith. Trials, he says, there back in chapter 1, prove the genuineness of our faith. In other words, they prove trials, hardships, difficulties in your life prove whether your, your faith is real or if your faith is counterfeit. They cause us to see, do I have real, lasting, genuine, true faith? Or maybe I was deceived. And maybe I just sort of had this like casual cultural faith. And he says that our, our trials also purify us. That's why he says, tested by fire, purify us. In that trials actually remove imperfections and impurities from our faith. They cause our faith to be more pure. Because Why? Well, trials tend to draw us into deeper dependence on the Lord and, and, and out of less dependence on ourselves. And so with this perspective, again, we're not to be surprised by trials. And I've said this before. I've said this before, but I'll say it now here again. Instead, then, we are to welcome trials, welcome suffering into our life. We welcome suffering and trials because we know that they actually strengthen our faith. That God is using them as a tool to do that. Trials serve a significant purpose in your life and in my life if we just have eyes to see and hearts of faith to grasp and believe their purpose. So Peter says, don't be surprised by the trials that come your way. God is doing something through them. Number two, second encouragement he gives to us in this text. He says, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. This is verse 13 through 14. He says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and, here it is, be glad when his glory is revealed. And when is his glory revealed? When is that? When he returns, when Jesus returns. He says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, sounds like the Sermon on the Mount, right? 
If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. All right, so, so what is Peter saying there to us in, in verse 14? Well, essentially, he's saying suffering for Jesus' sake demonstrates that you belong to him. That the spirit of glory and of God rests upon those who are genuine followers of Jesus. And therefore, when you experience resistance on your walk with Christ, you should rejoice and be glad. Why? Because it shows you, it proves to you that you are on the right path. Rejoice, he says, because you are actually facing the same opposition that Jesus faced himself. That word share there, uh, it's the word koinonia. It's a, it's a great word in the Greek language. It's the word that uh, we actually see is used for close fellowship with one another. You see this in Acts chapter 2, for example, in verses 42 through 47, as it, as, as it talks about how the early church was unified in everything, they, that they were devoted to the fellowship. Right? They were devoted to this koinonia. And so Peter here is, is literally saying that, that we share, that the sharing, it's like um, the fellowship of suffering, right? That's what he's saying. There's the, if you think Lord of the Rings fans, right? There's the fellowship of the ring, right? This group of people, they're all in together towards the purpose, right? I got to make this happen, all right? I wish it was the fellowship of the ring. It's not. It's the fellowship of suffering. Okay, welcome to Christianity. Okay, that's our story, right? I guess they suffered a lot along the way, too, in the Lord of the Rings. Okay, granted. But that's what we're brought into. That's what you're inviting people into, actually. Right? Doesn't that say something about the gospel? Right? Hey, believe in Jesus. He's going to make your life great, better, uh, and you're going to suffer. That's actually the message. How often do we leave that out of the gospel? We do. This is what, what we belong to, this fellowship of suffering. Jesus suffered, and so you share. You're in this koinonia of suffering with him. But we're supposed to rejoice and be glad in that. And let me be clear about this as well. That's not to say that our suffering accomplishes what Jesus' suffering accomplished. Right? No. Don't, do not leave here thinking that I said that. All right? We know that Jesus' suffering accomplished our salvation. Yeah? And our suffering contributes nothing to our salvation. Let's be really clear on that point. But Peter is saying, he is saying, we share, we share in that we are treated the same And therefore, we rejoice because, again, it proves that we're on the right track. That we're on the right path. That we're on the king's way. It'll be hard. It'll be hard. Sometimes, sometimes, unspeakably dark. You might even feel lost. Some of you are in that season right now. You just feel lost. can't believe what you're going through, or the things that are happening around you. Some of you now, you're in a season of hopelessness. But this here is in Peter's kindness. This is him encouraging you, encouraging me, do not leave the king's way. Don't leave. Don't leave this path and go on another path where everything will inevitably crumble, fail, and fall. Stay on his path, the path which ultimately, he says, leads to incomparable glory, where Jesus' glory will be revealed. That's what Peter is telling us here. One day, one day, we will ultimately rejoice and be glad that we persevered. So Peter's saying, rejoice and be glad now. Knowing that though this path is hard, it's worth it. It's worth it. That glory is coming. 
2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 17 says this. These are beautiful words from the Apostle Paul. He says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Look at this. For this light momentary affliction. That right there, light momentary affliction, he's talking about our lives, our present day trials and suffering. Paul calls them light momentary afflictions. He says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Because eternal glory is waiting for us, we rejoice. Because unspeakable joy is waiting for us, we choose to be glad. Glory is just up ahead. It's just around the corner. So set your eyes there on that reality. We can be glad. We can rejoice in any unjust difficulty that comes our way. Because it's a sign that we're on the right path. No matter how hard and how bumpy that path may get. Moving up right along, number three, he says his encouragement to us in the midst of these fiery trials is to, to not be ashamed. He says, do not be ashamed. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, he says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. We'll pause there just for a moment. Peter tells the church, He's basically saying, I'll put it in like 2021 language. He's basically saying, don't be embarrassed. Don't, don't feel foolish. Don't feel silly. Don't, don't look back longingly on a life that you, that you thought you missed out on. Because you missed out on nothing. The world can offer you nothing. He's saying to them, listen, being a Christian... Being a follower of Jesus, suffering for his namesake is an honor above all honors. You know, one of the ways, I was thinking about this, one of the ways the enemy, Satan, his tactics, one of the ways our enemy gets Jesus' followers to fall into sin, to go against God's ways, is to actually get us to think and to believe that we're missing out on something. He's used that strategy since the Garden of Eden, actually. Right, what does he say? God's holding something back from you, right? You're missing out. Oh, did he really say that? Oh, why would he deny you, right? Certainly, then, it means God doesn't have what's best for you. Right? You're missing out. And so Peter confronts that idea here and says, being a follower of Jesus and suffering for his name is an honor above all honors. Then he continues, verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? When we see the word judgment here, know okay, that he kind of changes, shifts things because he was talking about judgment in the New Testament typically means one thing. Peter shifts it here. He's not talking here about the judgment of condemnation. Okay, you'll misunderstand the text if you think this is what he's talking about. Peter is talking here about the judgment that is related to the testing that he just talked to us about, mentioned back in verse 12. He's talking about the judging of God, the testing that is used to determine the genuineness of our faith. Peter is he's talking about how this judgment reveals the real life or the real faith of some and the counterfeit faith of others. And his argument is, if God's people need to be purified in this way, if they need to be purified by walking through this, these hardships, these trials, these troubles, these, this heartache, he's saying, hypothetically, what will be the outcome of those who don't follow Jesus? If this is the path, if this is the king's way for the Christian, what's going to be the outcome and the path, the life for those who don't follow? 
And of course, the obvious implication is that it will be far, far worse. And then he quotes Proverbs 11.31 here, actually. It's verse 18 in our text, but this is a quote of Proverbs 11.31. He says, And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Now, scarcely saved there doesn't mean that the righteous, like, just, just barely reach salvation, right? Like, they, they just grasped it, right? That they get into the kingdom by a hair, right? Like, the doors are closing, and then someone, like, slips through, right? Like, that's, that's not what he means, right? Scarcely there means through difficulty, that Jesus' people are saved through, through the suffering they face in the world. Again, not that their salvation is uncertain, but just that the road, the way to righteousness is through fiery trials. And so this just naturally raises a question. It would have raised a question for them. It raises a question for us. Will we stand firm? Are we standing firm? Will we hold fast? Will we persevere? Or will all the insults, the shaming, the trials, all of the social pressures, will all of those things push us to deny Jesus? So in this sense, Peter's saying it's difficult for a righteous person to be saved and to make it to the end. It's difficult. That's what he means by scarce. But the overarching point is, It's better to suffer now, unjustly for Jesus' sake, than to deny Jesus and suffer much more later. That's really what he's saying. Peter tells us, do not be ashamed of Jesus. Do not be ashamed, because suffering for his name reveals that you belong to him. And belonging to Christ is a badge of honor. It's a great badge of honor. And then finally, finally this morning, this final piece of encouragement that Peter gives to those of us, all of us who are following Jesus and walking through and fiery trials. He says, trust him, trust Jesus, and do as much good as you can. Trust him and do as much good as you can. This is Peter's great, actually, his great climactic summary statement. He said so much about suffering. We're about ready to move on from suffering. He'll mention it like one more time in chapter 5. But pretty much he's done. And now he's brought us to this point. He says this. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The language of entrusting here, trusting your soul here, it's a call. It's a call to to trust the very depths of who you are the very essence of your being, the very depths of you into the hands of the God who made you and who loves you. Not superficial trust, but in the depths of your being. Peter's saying, entrust your life, everything, not not some parts of you, everything, all your hopes, all your dreams, all your fears, all your heartache, trust it all into the hands of your creator. It's the only time, by the way, in the New Testament that word creator is used. Right? Peter's being very specific. He wants you to say, he's saying something to you. Trust it all. He's saying, why? He's above it all. He's sovereign, sovereign above it all. So trust everything to the one who's above it all. And as you do that, as you do that, Peter says, do as much good as you can as you go about your day-to-day life. This is the end of the matter for Peter. He has talked to us so much about suffering. So much. And he sums it up this way. When you find yourself under fire for Jesus' sake, don't be surprised but rejoice and be glad. 
Don't be ashamed. Instead, trust God in the depths of your being. And keep living out your faith. Keep going. Just for a second, I want, I want us to think about the road. The road that Jesus walked to glory. Think about his path. And what led him to the place of, place of highest authority in, in the universe. When Jesus walked this earth, when he was going about his ministry, living for God, we've talked about this, his family thought he was his crazy. Where he grew up, where he was from, Nazareth, his hometown people, they rejected him. And the political and religious leaders of his day were, were constantly coming against him from the day he was born till the last day of his life. When Jesus went around teaching and and living, there was a large group of people who thought he was too conservative. Others thought he was too liberal. All the time, all the time, Jesus was misunderstood. Even by his own disciples. Not only that, Jesus constantly, constantly let others down because he didn't meet their expectations. And he wasn't who people thought he should be. Jesus was tempted. Those very friends that were so close to him abandoned him, including the person who wrote this letter. First Peter. He was betrayed, unjustly tried, unjustly imprisoned, and unjustly murdered. And so let's understand, let's understand, Jesus knows well what it is like to suffer unjustly and experience pain and heartache for following God. People in your life, you might think about them when you're facing a hard time, no one understands. They don't understand. They say they do, but they don't understand. Jesus understands. He does. He understands. And why did he do this? Why did he go down this path? Hebrews 12, 2 says this, For the joy, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus suffered. He suffered to reveal the lavish riches of the love and glory of God. He endured to accomplish salvation for sinners like you and I, to make us his people. He was despised so that we could be forever loved. He was thrown out and rejected so that we could be forever brought in. In him, in him, we are brought into belonging with the creator of this universe. And those who belong to him will walk the same path as him. It's costly. It will often hurt. But friends, it's worth it. Jesus is worth it. So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised by the fiery trials you face. I saved this. You know, some New Testament scholars, some New Testament scholars are pretty sure they believe that Peter actually uses the phrase fiery trials here on purpose. That yes, it refers to intense internal emotional pain and heartache. It does. But more than that, Peter was using this specific phrase because at the time of this letter, the exact time of this letter, Nero was the emperor of Rome. And I've told you about Nero. Nero was the emperor. And Nero was so cruel, so cruel, especially towards Christians. Actually, historians say that 
if they were going to rank like the top three most wicked men in the world, they'd say like Hitler, Nero. They're like top three. Okay? Then, you know, whoever. Nebuchadnezzar, maybe. Okay? He's on the top of the list. And we know from history that Nero had a reputation, actually, for covering Christians. I told you this before. Covering Christians in black tar. Some people call it pitch. Black tar. And then he would light, light them on fire. Burn them alive and use them as human torches to light his garden parties. He would set them on stakes, throw black tar on them, light them on fire, and then they would celebrate. As Christians suffered, died, burned alive. And so many believe that Peter is referring to that right here. And in saying fiery trials, he's saying, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Even when you, your friends, your family, other loved ones are lit on fire and used as torches. Don't let that shock you. Don't let that that cause your heart to be troubled. No. You rejoice, church. You be glad in your suffering, knowing that Jesus has called you blessed and because your trials indicate that you are on the king's path. Do not be ashamed of your hardships. Do not be ashamed that you belong to Christ, but embrace it. And then together, together, church, as sojourners, as set-apart people, living stones, Let's entrust our souls to our creator God while doing as much good as we can. Peter was telling them and he's telling us, let's live for Jesus. Let's prioritize Jesus. Keep going, church family. Your forever home, listen to me, your forever home is just on the horizon. Jesus' full glory revealed to you is just around the corner. We're almost there. Amen? Let's pray together.